0: For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Today, I have with me Tim Sagala, who is, I suppose, a sort of colleague of mine in a way because he works in the field of coaching and and mindfulness and all good things and resilience but he works in a different sector to me so I thought it would be absolutely fantastic to talk to Tim and to find out all about him and his organisation and uh, he's got some really brilliant resources on his website and I thought we could talk a bit about that so Tim hello how are you? Hello Russell I'm very well thank you and yourself? Groovy 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 now look your surname L A. what's that all about then where does that come from?
1: It's um, an anglicised Romanian name, so my great, great grandparents came over from Romania in the 1900s to escape the pogrom, they were Jewish, huh? and uh, so they, I think it was segal and they were trying to anglicise it, and they've come up with this name, which I believe is unique. I think we are the only Segalas in the world, with that spelling at
0: least. Really? That's yeah. brilliant. I mean, that's a real claim to fame, isn't it? I'm going to have that down It's a question. <laughs> it's my only claim to fame, but never mind. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> After our previous conversation. So we were chatting before our show began. And um, where in the world are you? Tell me where you are. I'm in East London. Right. So you're in the hotspot at the moment of world events in terms of lockdown and such like.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Although where I am is incredibly quiet. So, um, well, I suppose that's pretty much the same everywhere. But I'm not experiencing what I should imagine others are experiencing in
0: London. Yes. And you'll be handy for the, um, the new Nightingale Hospital should anything happen.
1: Very true. I hadn't thought of that.
0: It is quite astonishing in terms of organisational resilience, this idea of being able to suddenly build a hospital in a a leisure centre. I think it's quite... interesting to be able to harness and marshal resources from the army and such like to be able to bring all these systems and processes together i don't know about you but um i know you work in the, that sector more than i do but it's always appeared to me that the public sector is incredibly onerous for bureaucracy and long supply chains and difficulty with getting decisions and it seems as if suddenly they're making decisions very quickly that must be quite encouraging from your perspective
1: i think so and let's hope that they learn something from that And that continues once we're the other side of this extraordinary situation.
0: Yeah. So Tim, tell me, how would you describe what you do?
1: So, yeah, well, as you said, we are in similar worlds. Um, I would say that uh, I uh, am a leadership coach uh, and a resilience trainer. Um, Essentially, what I do is help people to access their natural resources to deal effectively with life's challenges, whether that's in the workplace or indeed um, in, in life's challenges. So I do that through through the modality, if you'd like, of coaching um, and through particularly mindfulness-based processes and techniques, which are a big part not only of my professional life, but my personal life as well.
0: Great. And, and how did you... How did you start all this? Where, where was, what was your career before this?
1: So before coaching and, and mindfulness training, um, I largely worked in communications, initially in PR, which I fell into really because I didn't know what else to do after university. Um, and then um, sort of sideways moved more into um, writing and communications um, for charities Um, and then really through my own personal struggles and experiences, um, initially through therapy that brought me in contact with, you know, more of the world of personal development and mindfulness. And I really threw myself into mindfulness. Um, I was for a period heavily involved with, um, the London Buddhist center and I, um, started uh i was the first manager of their secular well-being program Mm. um so that was like the bridge if you like between the two careers because i i suppose i realized once i was putting into practice some of the wisdom that i now try to spread that it was having such a positive impact on my life that i felt converted to the cause I'm, i'm talking to the cause of well-being Resilience, mindfulness-based processes—that you know, a bit like the guy who—I uh, always remember the guy from the um, Remington. He loved the um, oh, shaver yeah. so much that he bought the company. Yeah. And in a way, it's like you know, I got so much from mindfulness processes that I thought, I, I want to teach this. I want to spread this. Yeah. And and coaching felt like the most natural bedfellow if you like of mindfulness um so yeah really i got there through my own personal experiences
0: and that's often the way that a lot of therapists really get into the world isn't it they've Mm. you always say if you meet a therapist you meet someone who's actually had some problems in themselves actually and that they're the best advocates for the the method they've used so you often find emdr specialists who have used that because they've had maybe a ptsd experience or something so that's interesting exactly can we unpack mindfulness a little bit then for people? Because mm. I've had a lot of um, American guests on and um, mm. it get, it can, there's a sort of almost um, zealotry or zeal that comes from describing mindfulness as the panacea of all ills and ailments mm. and such like. And, mm. you know, people talk about, you know, I've been on a six month mindfulness retreat and, and at the heart of it, when you look back at some of the thinking, there's a sort of, there's a sort of religious background to it. And there's a mm. sort of um, social dynamic background, people like Eckhart Toll. And, mm. and I just wonder where your stance is on this. I mean, can you actually unpack what mindfulness actually is from your perspective? Mm. Mm. It's a biggie,
1: but it's a good question. I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking he'll, he'll obviously ask me about mindfulness and what it is, my take Sorry on it. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, of course, it has its roots in spiritual and religious traditions particularly buddhism and then has been adopted and adapted in the modern western world initially through science and medicine through john kabat zinn and then you know embraced in so many different ways i would say um that it's I was almost going to say it's whatever you want it to be, but that's not quite true. It depends what your worldview is. So of course, if you're spiritually inclined, you're going to define mindfulness in one way. And if you're not, you'll define it in another way. But I think what is um, in common at the heart of all of those is it's a way of understanding and working with your own mind (coughs) most effectively. So it's really about awareness
0: Right, I was going to say, yeah, you're almost describing self-awareness when you say it that way. Yeah,
1: I I would say it's a set of tools rooted either in a spiritual tradition, um, and or then backed up by clinical scientific approaches that yeah helps you see how your mind works and based on that knowledge to make the wisest choices in your life. Um, And of course, yeah, if you're spiritually inclined. Then that's going to be about turning towards, you know, enlightenment, uh, awakening, whatever you want to call it, and and if in a secular context, about living your life in a way that is um, gives you the most sense of satisfaction, well being, and being of service to others. Or indeed, you know, it can indeed indeed be braced in situations where it helps you be more productive and make more money. <laughs> so it, it's it's uh, it's something that. Depending on how you see the world, that's going to
0: determine what you do with it. Now, that's fascinating because most people describe mindfulness as this thing about being in the now, being here and being present. And that's, and it's really, you're the first person I've heard describing mindfulness really as a more, as a sort of a, um, a shorthand for self-awareness and, men- and mental, mental self-care almost.
1: Yeah, um, again, I was thinking about this this morning, because I think that sometimes the way that mindfulness is communicated and has been understood in the modern West is too narrow and too limiting.
0: Right.
1: So yes, it is about um, being in the present moment, but that's um, a means to an end. That's a technique or a process, but we don't do that for its own sake. We do that in order, in my experience, this and the way you know I work with myself and others, in order to broaden our, our horizons, to feel more rooted in ourselves, and therefore, yeah, to make wise choices in our lives. So, I have to admit that sometimes when I hear that very narrow description, is oh, my is just about being in the present moment, hmm. it winds me up because that that is missing so much of what the wisdom or the technology, if you like, offers up to us.
0: Right. And would you say that meditation is a tool, that's part of mindfulness, or is it the other way around?
1: Yeah, I mean, in a way, often one can end up getting sort of um, twisted in knots around the semantics, although it's useful to get clear as well. Um, so meditation I would say is the primary and most reliable tool for cultivating uh, mindful awareness but it's not the only one Um, and you know the way I again work with myself and others is ideally you're using if you like the the more intense training ground that meditation provides to cultivate skills that then spill over into the rest of your life so that you know ideally you can be mindful all the time whatever you're doing including when you're high you know engaged in highly energetic activity you can still yeah. be aware um so yes it's 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 the primary tool and of course i suppose the confusion comes because um, there are also many other forms of meditation. So there's mindful meditation, but you know, coming from all the different traditions that embrace meditation, there are many, many other ways to meditate, depending on what means by that. One uh, means by that term as well.
0: And I think, and I think in our world, I just wonder how much we're overcomplicating and confusing people. Because I'm a, yeah. a coach, as a as a psychologist and a hypnotherapist. And, I, and mm. I, I did hypnotherapy for fun in a way, but then it seemed to sort of bring together and encapsulate some of the, the work that takes place in guided meditations. And then you're, mm. now you're sort of seeing that we're, we're now starting to really sort of create a Venn diagram where everything overlaps, but without really being clear about things, about what really things are for. And I, and I wonder if that, I wonder if that actually matters. Or whether it's just about finding the you know or just finding the answer sure
1: I, I, yeah I, I completely agree with all the premises of what you're saying there um, and taking various threads from what you've said, I think one thing i've noticed is that there, there is huge overlap between what mindfulness does or can encompass and many other. Uh, tools models approaches including uh, um hypnotherapy um when i've spoken to other hypnotherapists i've thought gosh this well, some of this sounds an awful lot like mindfulness yeah same with nlp big yeah. overlap yeah. Yeah. um and in a way my you know i like to be very pragmatic in life you know it's whatever works whatever processes um learning uh, routines or habits that help people as i say feel more grounded greater sense of self with a capital s the good self (laughs) that um you know that has some natural confidence and energy and so on um and insight and wisdom however you get that um then you know that that gets my vote and i think it can you know come through all sorts of these modalities as long as it basically raises your level of awareness and understanding
0: yes and and you mentioned that um you found the best ways to deploy maybe, maybe i'm slightly misinterpreting what you said but you sort of you linked the delivery of mindfulness um knowledge and skills acquisition with coaching. So I was intrigued to so obviously I've linked it with coaching and hypnotherapy. You've linked it with coaching. Hmm. What 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 was your rationale for that? Because a lot of people see coaching as much more of a, either the whole life coaching e type thing or the whole performance yeah. coaching e type thing. Yeah, so it's clear what coaching is really. And yeah quite coaching different than counseling and blah, blah, blah. And away, yeah. away we go again. Um tell me your tell me your take on that because I think um, your organization's sort of rising minds is is interesting because because I wonder whether you get people who are more um and this might be a complete lack of it, uh, lack of knowledge on my side but you get people who are more aware of these processes in your world um
1: yes and no to that last uh, point I'll come back to that um uh, I would say that the reason I put coaching and mindfulness together is, um, well, I I did the training in each modality at the same time, uh, roughly at the same time. And when I was training, uh, it just became very clear to me that they felt like natural bedfellows because um, the way I saw it, um, the skills and techniques and processes that mindfulness teaches as I've said about awareness, insight, wisdom, self-management, stress management, mm. all of that—if that's like um, being uh, cultivated in, in an individual—that can be harnessed in the coaching and help the coaching work go deeper. Yeah. Um, and inevitably, it's true that because you know, I feel kind of steeped in mindfulness. It's has impacted on the kind of coach I am and I probably am you know a bit different from not that there is a, a standard but you know you know what I mean if there was a sort of or at least there's a standard idea of what a coach is as you said which is about sort of I suppose much more action oriented <clears throat> much more you know that's sort of focused. exactly exactly and of course you know I, I include that and I and I hope that clients come away from sessions with a sense of know what they're going to do as a result um but i think you know the mindfulness aspect probably creates more of a sense of um wandering uh, with both spellings in my work <laughs> and and more of a sense of space yes. so i probably do spend longer you know allowing people just to sort of explore stuff before i come in with the what you're going to do about it yes. type of question yes. Um, But I think um, vice versa, the reason also I put them together is um, having been on mindfulness courses, initially as a punter, if you like, um, what I think that sometimes they miss, understandably, um, is uh, as a a group course, uh, it brings up stuff for people. And then uh, uh, if they don't have something in place, mm. sometimes that can be confusing for people, right. how, how to process what they're you know, bringing up in their lives, new insights, new understandings, some of which can be challenging. And so then to have a space, mm. a one-to-one coaching space, that can help them process that. So for me, the ideal in a program in any context is where you've got a, a mix of some group work, including mindfulness, and then one-to-one work where
0: people can process that more confidentially. Yes. And, and, and this is an impossible question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. What's, what's mindfulness best for? So when people come to you and say, so i, I was sort of quite clear, I think, what hypnotherapy is best for. Mm. And I sort of have my own view of what coaching is best for. These mm. are my own, my own views, but what's your view of what mindfulness mm-hmm. is best for? Well, the slightly flippant. I not to say everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. I was going to say everything. I mean, in a way, I do believe it is, yeah, it's not a panacea, but um, I think it's applicable to um, any situation where people are trying to gain greater clarity or understanding. Or come to terms with something in themselves or in their lives, so that no, that is broad and it is almost everything. But so, so
0: let, let me let me so let me drill it in a little bit. So you have, yeah, of you have a situation yeah. in the world at the moment where every, everything's sort of unknown. Yes, Pre, it could have been predictable. Was predictable because people have predicted it, and mm. people are finding themselves in the middle of a milestone. Okay, mm. so mm. how can people use mindfulness to help them mm. at the
1: moment? Sure. So answering that and indeed um, the, 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 the previous question about what it's specifically good for and uh, how that plays out now. Well, the, the scientific research, the clinical research, the stuff over the last two decades, mainly, particularly since the advent of MRI scanning, has shown that what it particularly affects in the brain is firstly the ability to focus and concentrate. Yeah. And I think in our current climate, where of course there is so much uncertainty, which is extremely unsettling, that causes the mind to go into its automatic, um, highly discursive and distracted patterns that ultimately give rise to stress. Um, And so the ability now to, as it were, ground your awareness. more in the present moment and therefore to focus and concentrate is going to be hugely important in terms of um, productivity and resilience in challenging times Um, where it's also shown to be really helpful is in the arena of um, let's call it approach rather than avoid so this is uh, when we're faced with challenging situations like we are now yeah um, our kind of automatic unhelpful tendency is to try to run away from it. Uh, totally understandable at the moment mm-hmm. but the the science shows us that if we can in our brains in our bodies learn to turn towards them and understand them and process them bit by bit And we're as it were we we come back to normal quicker and I think we're all going to need to come back to normal more quickly and I'd say the third thing is around the whole stuff around um, uh, essentially relationships um, emotional intelligence um, and to to put a more spiritual word on it compassion Um, and I think that is encouragingly really encouragingly showing up um, one of the s- delightful things for me to have witnessed in these last couple of weeks since lockdown yes there's a lot of panic and anxiety out there but wow the, the compassion that has been activated in people and i think that's really encouraging and this mindfulness stuff just can take that deeper uh, and i think we're going to need that to keep us going on you know on a road that we don't know how long it is
0: so that's interesting that you said that. i love that idea of the compassion thing i think that's that explains such you know many of the things that you're going on at the moment but at mm-hmm. the same time as we're increasing compassion we're almost reinforcing the opposite as well because you have at the same time as compassion you have more violence and we have more antisocial behavior we have people coughing on each other t- attempting to spread the virus deliberately you've got people who are the reverse of compassionate. So, do you think compassionate's linked to education and wisdom, and therefore learned, or do you think actually people are just sort of acting out? And uh, why why would there be a lack of compassion in certain parts of okay. the
1: world? So, okay, well, actually, it's interesting. I'm influenced by. I, I read um, a, an article about this recently. I would yes, it's true that you know you, you get these incidences. Incidents of um, violence and lack of compassion, and so on. I think the media, um, again, it's what they do, they're not going to change now. Um, they focus on those in a disproportionate way, yeah. and they are, in fact, if you think about it, a tiny, tiny minority of society. Uh, in fact, a, a surprisingly small. And encouragingly so proportion of society who are um, not playing ball, not using this uh, not, not, not being respectful towards others um, and it, because it, it makes a, a good story, it gets blown up out of, out of proportion and maybe you know maybe I'm seeing this things from a slightly biased point of view because I want to see these encouraging compassionate stories. Um, but I I, as far as I can be objective it seems to me that is real Um, as for what what causes those people to behave in um, the way that they are that's complicated isn't it and I suppose my feeling is that they were behaving like that beforehand (laughs) and they're just continuing to behave like that way now
0: really my go-to has always been on this is that people aren't doing what you want is because they don't know how and I think people we aren't being educated, trained, and um, given a, a leadership, a role model to be able to perform work in a specific way or act in a specific mm-hmm. way. We've not had a need to be compassionate to each other, have a sense of community for a long time. Whereas, if you look at the some of it's bizarrely enough, some of the sort of blue zone areas in the Mediterranean, they do do that, and it's been slightly compromised by that because of a lockdown thing. Everyone's infecting each other. But I do think we've lost our ability to. To know how to be compassionate. Yeah, I I, I think so. And uh, I'm thinking. I, I, of, I'm thinking this is our next online venture: how to yeah. be compassionate. I'll be looking at your on Rising Minds soon and uh-huh. seeing this new course. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's in a way. I come at this from two different angles.
1: Firstly, this you know angle that I've been saying that I do genuinely believe that what's happening at the moment is a sign of the fact that they um, the seeds of compassion are there within us and they have been activated. Yeah. And, and that is, is it, you know, there's something extraordinary about this, you know, compared to other um, crises or challenges. The fact that it's affecting the whole globe
0: yeah.
1: um, and that we are all under largely all under the same central conditions of yeah. our lives being restricted in the same ways is such an equalizer and a leveler. Yeah. that it has made us, bizarrely, I felt more connected in the last two weeks, yeah. possibly than at, in any time in my life, uh, which I think is extraordinary, because I haven't, other than the, you know, when I go to the shop or or whatever, I haven't actually seen anyone in person, or someone I might pass in the street, but I haven't seen any of my friends in the flesh, but I'm doing so much connecting with people, yeah. and to me that is arisen out of, Yes, it's people all collectively feeling slightly afraid, um, and so you know looking to do what uh, supports them. But in a in a way, the flip side of that is, well, what what does support them? Being connected, um, being compassionate to each other. Yeah. Um, and in a way, I hope that you know once we're the other side of this, we can stand back and look at it and think. What are the lessons we can draw from that that can then indeed be incorporated into, as you say, um, training, education of all kinds? Mm. Um, And I would say this, but I think it's true. Mindfulness has got a big part to play in that because it's just been shown that it literally changes how your brain works, the neural pathways and so on, including those that are responsible for well-being and compassion
0: yeah and it's interesting because both of us work in resilience from different angles but i mean i've always very drawn to this idea so some of the child soldiers from africa who have um, you know who've gone through incredible you know stories and and the thing they are taught to experience and to learn to be able to engage with is those seeds of compassion that you're talking about because when you're young and you're you know being forced to fight you don't have you don't have you don't have the You don't have the brain activity to be able to be compassionate in a way. You're recipients of compassion, not givers of compassion.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: It is interesting that I think compassion is at the heart of resilience. And um, I think it's a lovely way of thinking about it, to be fair.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, this is where, um, in in a secular context, um, one uses terms like well-being and, and compassion can be used um but the seeds of that are in these spiritual traditions and i make no um uh, you know i don't try to hide the fact that i see myself as a buddhist but you know when i'm uh training people in a secular context you know i don't bring that in uh, but of course if anyone asks me i tell them because you can't conceal that and in a way um in buddhism and as, as i understand it really at the heart of all spiritual traditions is ultimately the wisdom of your true well-being your true contentment and happiness lies in going beyond your narrow self and to extending yourself out to others and it is delightful to see that although it gets you know in some ways has to get diluted or or translated into different language that that does bleed through into our common secular wisdom Um, and you know so many approaches when this stuff is taught like in schools and in businesses is bringing out more and more of this element of you know basically think about other people because you'll feel better for it in the long
0: term as well (laughs) And I think that's, and I think, uh, well, one of I totally agree. And the second thing is that you're a man of action and not just words, because on your website, risingminds.org.uk, which has got some really interesting things, one of the things you've done for other people is you've given a a, a pretty comprehensive video around how to work from home effectively or how to work effectively from home. And it's a really great video with tons of tools and such like, and you can get that risingminds.org.uk slash working hyphen from hyphen home. Um, hopefully, that's a good enough plug there, Tim. And um, but I think that's really interesting because I think that sense of giving back is, is important, isn't it? And giving back, and in a way that you said earlier about being practical, because actually, it's about I mean, give it you know, a lot of people give because what they're attempting to do really is to hoop people in and sell at the end. It's the old <laughs> idea of what is it, uh, jab jab punch or whatever the idea is. Or jab, hoop, I forget the, for the boxing, <laughs> but you know, you give twice and then you ask on the third thing. But I mean, I think true compassion and, you know, being practical in the Wildwoods is to just is to give stuff freely. And I, so I suppose that comes from a Buddhist place, but it also comes from a like a like a social, like, a, um, like the NLP and emotional intelligence things that you're talking about earlier. It has a social facet to it as well, doesn't it? It's it's do, it's worth doing because actually, in a way, it makes you you better as well as everybody else.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, um, when I was, I'll be completely transparent with you. When, when all this kicked off, um, our current COVID-19 situation, um, it was a conversation with a friend and I was saying, you know, I, I know a lot about working from home and of course in you know my profession is about helping people to adapt to change and challenge yeah. and you know and I was suddenly thinking I could really help people with this um and you know I I being also transparent with you I was also aware that in offering something out there that hopefully people would access, that they'd become more aware of me and my organisation, which is no bad thing in the long term. But it was interesting because, again, I'd be transparent at first. I was thinking, oh, yeah, I'll put this out there and maybe I'll sort of, you know, try to charge a modest fee. And then I suddenly thought, I can't do that. (laughs) It's just, I can't do it. And, you know, without being sanctimonious or earlier than that, I'm so glad I didn't. It would have felt all wrong. And it has felt fantastic to offer something that is targeted and, targeted and focused. That I think is, you know, appropriate for what people need at the moment. And I do, you know, as said, without polishing my halo or anything, I, I, I just feel good, good for it. Um, and again, I've just, I guess, I've been really impressed by how much that I've noticed people are offering things. Again, you know um no doubt sometimes seeing it as an opportunity to you know get people aware of what they're doing but fair enough they are still nonetheless offering stuff for free and they are i'm sure still doing it because they just feel moved to do it um
0: yeah brilliant so if people want to get hold of you tim um oh. i'll just allow you to slope that water down or should we <laughs> the game away? we just drew back the magic of the, the curtain? And so, <laughs> no, normally, if I see you taking a glass of water, I ask you a question at that precise moment. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I'm referring to our conversation earlier in terms of being gentle. <laughs> so, people want to get a hold of you, Tim, and, and find out more about what you're doing and how you work and such like. Mm. How can they do that?
1: Yep. So, as you said, risingminds.org.uk, and there's a contact page there. Uh, so, yeah, um, you can drop us a line or give us a call all the details there Um, and yeah well you know as we were talking about before we started this these are interesting times Um, you know what I offer at the moment because we're a social enterprise so we we run some stuff for businesses and organizations all around the kind of stuff we've been talking about adapting to change and challenge leadership resilience workplace uh, resilience as well for, for larger groups of people um but we also run programs in the community um funded programs people who wouldn't otherwise access this stuff but you know in the next few weeks and months um it'll be interesting to know what i'm going to come up with because i think we need to adapt and need to adapt fast not too fast because then uh you're not being truly responsive but um yeah watch this space go to rising minds and um inevitably I, like many other coaches and trainers, are going to be offering more stuff online, um, and I'm still working out what that's going to be, whether it's um, you know, along the lines of the, the free offering that I've put out there, helping people adapt to working from home, maybe other similar things, um, uh, other courses and programmes, group and one-to-one. Um, yes, so that's, that's the place to, to watch what is going to
0: unfold great tim it's been a real joy to talk to you today and um you know it's been fantastic and uh, we will look out and see what's been happening perhaps maybe one day when you've got some more groovy stuff as well as what you've got online we can come back and and unpick some of those other things because we've barely scratched the surface have we indeed so indeed
1: so yes thank you very much Russell. i've really enjoyed it today
0: thank you so much for your time uh you take care you too hi everybody I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links.